Hello everyone and welcome back to Into the Fray and it was a pretty eventful week. We had the first two rounds of the March Madness Tournament. We had a pretty eventful trade deadline. A lot of moves went down, some unexpected, some expected. Um, we're gonna, this week we'll do Gonzaga on Under the Spotlight. That seems pretty topical. And then we'll end with a, a, a little variation of Where'd he go? Uh, a most outstanding player award. Where'd he go? So we got a lot planned for today's episode. As always, I'm Daniel here with. I'm Eli, and let's start with March Madness. Bunch of upsets in round one. Even more in round two. I think let's start with the highlight. We'll start with the highlight, and that's got to be the Pac-12. Shocking impressive so far their only loss has been colorado ucla has won the most games in the tournament out of any team with three and usc and oregon the two best teams in the conference will square off on sunday night with a chance to probably play gonzaga for a trip to the final four any what's your biggest takeaway so far yeah, well, first, certainly got our fair share of upsets this year. We had Abilene Christian over three-seed Texas. We had Oregon State, a Pac-12 team over Tennessee. Uh, I, I, a lot of people were expecting that one. Oral Roberts has been a big story, um, defeating Ohio State, a two-seed. They're actually the second team in tournament history to make the Sweet 16, other than Florida Gulf Coast, which is a great story in and of itself. Um, uh, Sweet 16, uh, North Texas over Purdue is a big one. Um, Ohio over Virginia, I called that one. I remember calling that one because of Jason Preston. Um, but I feel like the biggest story outside of the upsets thus far has to be Loyola Chicago defeating Illinois, who we, if I remember correctly, we both had winning the whole tournament. Um, just a few years ago in 2018, I believe it was, Loyola Chicago made it all the way to the Final Four out of nowhere, seemingly. And I feel like everyone's wondering whether or not history will repeat itself. So I feel like there's that aspect right there. Will Loyola Chicago make it back to the Final Four? And I feel like that's got to be the biggest story as of right now because they've got a really good shot right now. They're going up against Oregon State, and then they could go against Houston, who I, I think we we believe to be the weakest two overall. They should have lost. Or, or Syracuse. Uh, so they've, they've got a pretty darn good shot of making the Final Four again, which would be extremely impressive as low of a seed as they are. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think what Loyola Chicago, they, I mean, they made Illinois, which I think is a good team, although the Big Ten has certainly made me question that over the first round. But they made Illinois look pedestrian. They it just, they dominated for the whole game. It, it looked like, if you just looked at that game in a vacuum without rankings, without anything else, you would have assumed Loyola Chicago is a much better team because that's how they play. I mean, that's what it looked like for the whole game. Every time Illinois did something right, Loyola Chicago would expand their lead back to around 10. It stayed there pretty much the entire game. So that was a, certainly an impressive showing. I I don't know if I mentioned it. I think I did because it was in my bracket. But Oregon and USC playing the Sweet 16, that was my Sweet 16. I said one of those teams are going, would go to the Final Four. I still believe that one of those teams will go to the Final Four. They both have what it takes to beat Gonzaga. They both play the right style of basketball to do it. They play different, two different styles, and yet they both can and are able to um, do it. So that'll be an interesting one to watch on Sunday evening. Obviously, USC won by 14 the first time, but 
Oregon is a very good team and actually better team than when they played then with their point guard, Will Richardson, fully healthy and back in the lineup at full strength. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Oregon State's run has been incredible too. Overall, the Pac-12 is impressed. And the Big Ten has been disappointing. Although when you look at disappointing, I think in March Madness, we have to not overreact to a couple losses because they do happen upsets happen and it just happened the big 10 got upset but it is not a good look for the big 10 this year many people considered the best conference in basketball and many thought that they might get two or even possibly three final four teams once it was all said and done and they the most they could possibly get is one right now yeah you're right uh big 10 has not looked good pac 12 like you said has looked great oregon state specifically they, I mean, they've also got a good shot of making the Final Four if they defeat Loyola Chicago. I could see them easily beating Syracuse or, or Houston. Uh, I want to key in on that that one game, uh, Oregon State versus Oklahoma State, the battle of the OSUs, right? Um, and Ethan Thompson, I believe, yep, Ethan Thompson, their point guard, he looked fantastic. And, you know, back to that point, in a vacuum, he, he looked like the number one pick as opposed to Cade Cunningham in that game. I know I've voiced my frustrations, and you're, you're going to hate me for this, but Cade did not look good in the tournament this year. It, it was not a good showing he, for him, especially in that one game. I, I would I would go so far as to say he took him out of that game against no, Oregon okay, State. That, no, no, that, that's now, now you're going too far. Cade Cunningham didn't play great. There's no debate. There's no debate about that. But he, he wasn't the reason they lost that game. I mean, Cade Cunningham put up 24 points on six of 20 shooting, but his last three shots were, of course, just chuck up threes with under a minute to go down 10. So I'm not going to include those because the game was over at that point. So now six of 17 or six of 18, that's around 33%. Sure, it wasn't his great game. It wasn't, he wasn't the reason they lost. How about Anderson? Three of 12 from the field, 0 of 3 from deep. That's not good. Moncrief went 1 of 4 from the field. And then Boone, who usually scores four points off the bench. He scored 13, but he did it on three of 11 shooting. Don't play Kane Cunningham for that team's struggles that game. He didn't look great. I won't disagree with that, but I don't think he's the reason they lost that game. Sure, he didn't have a great performance. He's still going to go number one overall. That's, I don't think that's up for debate. It's not like Evan Mobley has looked like a superstar in this tournament. He's looked pretty good. He's looked pretty good. Doing what? I mean, he scored, what, 10 points against... Kansas, I mean, it's just like, it's not a big showing. I mean, look, I know he doesn't need to. They won by 34. I'm not asking him to score 25 a game, but I'm not sure he's capable of it in this tournament. No, I mean, yeah. really not. He put up 10 points against Kansas. He put up, what, 16 against Drake? I mean, it is a fall from his Pac-12 tournament performance, 17 against Drake. It's a fall from his Pac-12 performance of 26 in each. I mean, he's not close to getting there. So, you know, I don't think Evan Mobley is exactly a threat to overtake Cade Cunningham for that number one draft spot. I'm not sure he should be either. No, and I wouldn't say he is either, but he's making a case at this point. And, and depending on how far, I'm not going to say he takes USC, but he is definitely by far their best player. And whether or not they make the Final Four will hinge on his his playing. Oh, of course, and he, of course. And but... he's... You know, he hasn't put up the stats, but he's he's an impact player. I mean, you look at his defensive potential, his impact on defense. Maybe he's not putting up a ton of points, but he's looked good. He's looked solid. And the potential is there, and I'd say his potential is higher than Cade's. At this point, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't I see, I can't agree with that because 
just being a guard, being able to ball handle the way Cade Cunningham is, it just there's just more upside for the guards in the NBA right now. Big men are just so limited. I mean, they are. You can't, you know, Evan Mobley is not going to be able to do the things Cade Cunningham can do just because he won't have the ball in his hands the same way. Yeah. And so, I'm... look, he's a great player. Evan Mobley has a lot of potential, but I just, you know, I see it here, you know, the fact that he only is scoring 10 points against Kansas, despite it being a huge win, just shows me that, you know, his offensive game's great and he doesn't always feel the need to take shots. But that means I'm not sure he's going to be ready to make a huge impact year one. And I think, you know, someone like Cade Cunningham might be. Yeah, and I'm not going to debate you on whether whether or not Cade should go number one. I think if I were a GM at this point, I, I mean, there's no way I wouldn't take him because the chance that he blossoms into a star and you lose your job is very high but if i'm in that position i I would take a good look at evan mobley and and wonder whether or not he fits better in my system or i see and like his potential a little bit more than Cade's. i won't rule him out yeah i mean i'm not saying to rule him out i'm not saying lock in Cade for the number one overall pick i'm just saying that i think you know in the nba it's more valuable to have a good guard than just have a good big man and for that reason, Cade Cunningham provides that. It just, you know, it's important to have a good center, but if you're trying to build a franchise, which we're going to assume the number one overall pick is trying to do, then you got to build it around someone who's going to be a playmaker, and Evan Mobley is not a playmaker. Not yet. Not yet. He could be. Uh, I feel like this is a good place. You know, I'm assuming our brackets are both pretty much busted. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Totally unpredictable. Oral Roberts, Abilene Christian. Although I think you got, in in my bracket group, I think you got Abilene Christian right, which is crazy. Have not seen one of those right. Uh, So props to you. But I feel like we're at the point where, you know, we're in the Sweet 16. If you could redo a bracket, start from scratch, Sweet 16, who would be your final four or some of those key matchups in the Sweet 16 that you see moving on? If you could reconstruct your bracket right now, what would it look like? I mean, that's a tough question. I, I like my Oregon pick. Um, I really do. I think U.S. I don't know if USC will necessarily overlook them, but I think that a lot of USC fans are overlooking them, and I think Oregon's one of the best teams in the country, much less the Pac-12. Uh, I, I, I don't want to pick Gonzaga, but I'll say they'll play Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. And then let's see the other side. I think Baylor's going to be a team to be in the opposite side, just in total for making the championship game down below. I like Syracuse. I think Syracuse should be the favorite to make the final four right now. And that sounds crazy. And Loyola Chicago is going to have all the hype, but buddy Bayheim is incredible. I mean, very much a knockdown shooter that can hit from anywhere. So I like what he's doing there. And then I guess I like Florida State. I mean, they make it just so hard to score. It's just difficult to do anything against them offensively. So I'll take the Knowles down there and, you know, run with it. I think I've realized, though, I think this is college basketball this year is Gonzaga's world and everyone else is just living in it. So if if I had to guess, that would be my champion. But I would love to see a Pac-12, one of the Pac-12 teams beat them. That uh... That'll be that's quite the bold take, yeah. Uh, Pac-12, they've got a difficult route. All the Pac-12 teams left. It's going to be difficult to see one of them even reach the final four. Um, but I've got 
I'm going to take another Pac-12 team, uh, our school. I I'm going to pick USC over Oregon. I think it could go either way. You're right. I, I could see this going either way. Oregon, we mentioned last week, they don't have the size, but but they've got all these guys who are around that like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 So it's hard to tell in game plan, like, is that that speed and quickness and agility going to disrupt USC or is USC's size going to disrupt Oregon? I really don't know. That's an interesting dynamic. They've two very different teams. I could see it going either way, but I'm I'm going to go with USC on this one. I'm going to say their size is just going to overwhelm Oregon. Of course, I've got to go with Gonzaga. And this is bold, but I do I do see USC reaching the final four here. I and they could just get blown out by Oregon. I could see it. But I could also... I mean, they're connecting on all cylinders right here. They just destroyed, demolished Kansas. It was embarrassing. I was embarrassed to watch that for Kansas. So if they play like that, and they played well against... Uh, who was it? They played well against Drake, too. So based on those games, I, I feel like it's going to carry over. And I, 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 I do see them. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's definitely a possibility that they make the Final Four. Down here... You don't like this. I'm still going with Michigan. I could see Alabama. I, I like Michigan over Florida State, even without Isaiah Livers. I like Dickinson. I they've got, like, the correct... They've got, like, the prototypical March Madness-style college team. They've got the right players. Livers would make them that much better. I'd say they'd be a lock then for Final Four. But I'm still taking Michigan over Florida State. And then either UCLA. I feel like UCLA's run is about to end against Alabama. And then I'm right there with you. I'm going to say Syracuse. I would say they're the favorite right now, too. I know everyone's looking and hoping for Loyola Chicago because of the story, but I think Syracuse is a lot better than Houston, and I think I'd favor Syracuse over Oregon State or Loyola Chicago. Buddy Beheim is a knockdown shooter, but he's so much more than that, too. He's he's really... He's got great awareness. I mean, he's a coach's son. He's everything you'd want and expect from a coach's son. He controls the tempo. He is their star player, and I expect him to carry them to the Final Four. Up top, you're right. Baylor, I really don't see any competition for them. Oral Roberts, it's a great story, but no chance they make it to the Elite Eight, if we're being realistic. Villanova, it hurts that Gillespie's out, so I feel like Baylor, I'd be shocked if they didn't make the Final Four. After that, it's it's really anyone's game. If Gonzaga makes it there, it's hard to bet against them. But I, I mean, it could go any way. I mean, USC, I could I could see them making the finals. Baylor, uh, if if I go with USC, Baylor, Michigan, and Syracuse, I, I think I'd have to favor Baylor. So if I had to make a pick right here, I'd say Baylor. But so much could change in three days. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it'll be interesting to see. We will see by Tuesday the final four will be set. Yep. We're all excited. <laughs> a year off was too much. We're all pumped. Okay, so moving on to our next topic, unless you have anything else to say there. Moving on to our next topic. Quite the eventful day uh, yesterday. A lot went down, a lot more than I expected. The trade deadline. Um, great kickoff with the Vucevic trade to Chicago. What stood out to you, Eli, yesterday? Was there was there a shock? Did you look at your phone and you're like, wow? Did you look at a move and you're like, not a good move right there, guys? Was there one that stood out to you? What team, you know, benefits most from yesterday? Which one is left Orlando. grasping at straws? 
The Orlando Magic wholesale is the biggest story. I mean, they gave away their three best players right now who are healthy. I mean, they and you know they got a good haul back for Vucevic. I think they should be happy with that. Um, I don't really understand where the Bulls are coming from on it. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. They have Lowry Markin in, and frankly, it is not a team that's ready to contend. So I'm not sure what they were doing. I and mean, they gave up what two first round picks as well as Wendell Carter Jr. and Otto Porter. I mean, it's it's kind of a haul for Orlando. And then they trade Aaron Gordon and didn't get very much at all. I mean, you know, it's surprising. And then Evan Fournier got even less. And I know he's a worse player than both of them. But the fact that you got just two second-round picks is a little disappointing in my eyes. I think the other story was, and you might want to touch on this one, is the Oladipo trade. They got nothing in return for Oladipo. I mean, I... Avery Bradley was like the best piece that came back and no offense to Avery Bradley, but he's not exactly in his prime or going to make a huge difference on a team that's looking to rebuild. He's not a prospect. No. Um, I agree with you on the Bulls magic trade. That did not make sense to me. I'm not, I think both teams got a fine deal. I I think both got decent returns, but it, it doesn't make sense to me from either team. The standpoint, it just doesn't make sense to me. Chicago, even with Vucevic, is not contending. I mean, at best, what? Maybe they're a sixth seed at best? I mean, they're not in any position to compete even with Vucevic. So it doesn't make sense giving up two firsts. And Wendell Carter, from the Magic side, Vucevic, I mean... It's just hard to believe he was an he was an all star this year. He was an all star two years ago, two time all star. Your franchise player, best player by far. It's hard to believe that the best like centerpiece of a trade aside from picks that you could get for him is Wendell Carter Jr. And listen, I'm a Duke fan. I loved Wendell Carter. I loved him coming out of Duke. I thought he I thought he was a very similar to a uh, player to Al Horford. I thought he could mold his game after Al Horford, but he has not been that. He can't stay on the court. He's not a great defender. He's not definitely not a great offensive player. So I can't believe that they gave up their franchise player for Wendell Carter Jr. And yes, the, the two firsts, those will be good picks. So they're going full-on rebuild. You know, this is a good draft. Maybe we'll have two pretty good picks in this draft. But then I look at the draft, too. So Magic roster right now, what they've got Jonathan Isaac, who's always out. Mo Bamba, if you really count him as, you know, a core piece of that team. But you, so the best pieces left of that Magic team, now that they gave up their three best players, like you talked about, is Fultz, who's injured again, and Cole Anthony, that you just drafted outside of the lottery, right outside of the lottery. The picks that they're going to, the picks they're going to have are like four to five, right? Around yeah. there. And the players in that range are guards. This is not a great guard draft, but the players in that range where they'll be drafting are guards, the best player. Are you going to draft Jalen Green when you've already got Fultz and you've already got Cole Anthony? Are you going to draft Suggs? That's going to be a pretty congested backcourt you've got right there. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I see. I don't agree. I see. I, 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 like, I understand what you're saying, but here's the thing. Getting the Bulls aren't going to have, like you said, they're both going to be top 10 picks. The Bulls aren't going to contend this year. They're not contending next year either. Let's be honest, unless they can sign a superstar. If you can get two top 10 picks 
for an all-star who has led your team to the eight seed, that's a good deal. You know, it's just like, as good as Vucevic has been, he hasn't been able to win games for the Magic. So you're really just losing games now. Now your draft pick probably goes up. You get a higher pick. And you know what? If Markel Fultz is not the answer, then trade him. Then trade him. I mean, you know, if you need to make room for a young star, you can get something in return for Markel Fultz. Or if you believe you find the player you like, package some of these picks and trade those. You know, there's multiple ways to go, but I actually think they got a great haul for Vucevic. I just don't like what they got for their other two players that they lost. Fournier, yeah. I think they think they could have gotten a little more for Aaron Gordon, and I definitely think they could have gotten more for Evan Fournier. I know yeah. he's not a great player, and- but... Two second-round picks is nothing. I mean, yeah. if you're a general manager, you give up two second-round picks without blinking an eye. Right, and it may, I'm a Celtics fan. We all know that. So I love I love that trade. And I know a lot of delusional Celtics fans were very upset that they didn't get Aaron Gordon. I'm not. And they were very mad about the Fournier deal because it was just one deal. But two second-round picks for Fournier. Let's not forget this guy's having the best season of his career. He's consistent. He's averaged about 18 in the last like three seasons. He's averaging 20, just about. This season, he's also a secondary playmaker, and you got him for nothing, essentially. You're right. The Magic, I can't believe they got... I mean, if you step back, it it does make a bit of sense because he's on an expiring contract. Not sure you're going to re-sign him. But still, I mean, he could make a difference for the Celtics right now. Um, And then on to Aaron Gordon, the Nuggets. I do like that fit. I, I think that's interesting. He's a good playmaker, so having him next to Jokic is really interesting as a front court. But I, I do think that's the best haul they could have gotten for him. I know the Celtics were in talks to be in a deal with them. And if you look at this trade, they got Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a first from the Nuggets. And quite honestly, that's the best they were going to get. Because the Celtics, what were they going to give them? Romeo Langford, a first. You've got RJ Hampton, who was a top prospect. He fell in the draft, but he's got potential. Gary Harris, since that, what was it, 2018 season, he's kind of plateaued, hasn't panned out as we thought. And then a first-round pick. I think that's a pretty good haul for Aaron Gordon, who's a bit overrated. He just looked that good because he was the only player available. Just remember, the first-round pick is going to be in the 20s. It's still a first. But 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 it is few and far between when a team hits on a very good player in the 20s at the end of the first round. It just is. It's not like the NFL draft or where you can, you know, find really great players at the end of the first round. There's just not that many players. So once you really end exit the lottery, it's hard to find stars. And that's my concern about that draft pick. It's like, yeah, it's a first round pick, but the best chance, like the most likely outcome is it's going to be a role player. Yeah. That's just, the, that's just what it is. I mean, I think that's the most likely outcome. So it'll be interesting to see how these trades pan out as we move forward. But yeah, I mean, and then I guess one other thing I think, uh, you know, just going off of you're talking about your team, my team, the Warriors, I would have liked to see them trade Kelly Oubre Jr. We're not, mm-hmm. the Warriors are not contending this year. They're not contending for a title. They're maybe contending for the playoffs, which I'm not sure is even something they really need to get into. Uh, it would be nice, but you know, I don't, I don't know, but you probably could have gotten something for Kelly Oubre Jr. right now. 
and he's an expiring contract. And I say that unless you're going to try to re-sign him and get rid of Andrew Wiggins, which I guess yet to be seen. I mean, if that's the move they want to make, then I guess that is understandable. But if the plan is just to move on from him, I think, you know, the impact they were hoping he'd make, he's yet to make. You know, he's been a nice role player, but not someone who's going to help the team win a lot of games and be one of the best in the West, which is, you know, we talked about it for years, how it's been the most competitive conference. Well, it's more competitive today than it has been maybe even three or four years ago. So, yeah, I was surprised to see they didn't trade him. I thought it was almost a guarantee. And you're right. I think they they signed him or they actually traded for him, assuming he'd be that 18 point per game scorer he was in Phoenix last season and he's been extremely inconsistent some games he had like a 40 point game didn't he yeah i mean he's had a great he's games, had some great games he's had some awesome horrible games. games um your team also did trade brad wanamaker i can't believe they did that brad wanamaker was going for mvp this season oh good what a, i mean we the warriors actually traded him and marquise chris just to open up spots for buyout yeah. players. So and no one's going to see if no one's going to the Warriors as a buyout candidate. Hate to break it to you. Says who? Well, the, okay, the two big names, Aldridge. We can talk about that too. Aldridge and Drummond. Um, those are the two biggest ones. I think Otto Porter might be in there if the Magic, the Magic are assumed to buy him Maybe. out. But those guys are going to be going to the Nets, the Lakers. Who's uh, going to the Nets? Drummond. Maybe. I mean, where are they finding the money to pay for him? I'm, he might not... I don't know. They might not give these guys a lot of money. I would watch out. I think the Warriors are going to try to make a move of you some think? sort. But what's uh, the point if they're going to... Not for necessarily this season. Maybe okay. for next season. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to watch what happens there. Yeah. Do you want to we... talk about the Oladipo trade? I mean, the only thing I have to say is they got nothing in return for him. I mean, but it it makes sense. You'd I mean, want more. You'd want more f- for Oladipo, but I mean, the Rockets have to be one of the worst, you know, franchises when it comes to this kind of thing right now. For Harden, they got Kelly Olynyk, Avery Bradley, Dante Exum, and some picks. No, right? they didn't get a pick. They got a pick swap. Pick swap. Right. No, but Which from means... that original Harden deal, they got some picks from the Nets and the Cavs, maybe. But sure, no, they, they got a bunch of picks, but I, I don't see, like, I don't understand why they traded for Avery Bradley. I don't either, but but you have to look at it like this. Oladipo has made it pretty clear he is going, he's a free agent in the offseason. He's made it pretty clear he's going to go either to the Knicks or the Heat. So no team is going to trade for him to have him as a 30-game rental, right? No team's going to give up the farm for him. And the teams that he's rumored to go to, the Heat and the Knicks, aren't going to give up the farm for him either because they're like, we could just get him for, quote-unquote, free. It'll be a lot of money for free in the offseason without giving up anything. So that's why they got him for Olenek and Avery Bradley. And believe it or not, I actually think that wasn't great for the Heat because Kelly Olenek was playing a pretty important role for them as a, as a big power forward next to Bam who isn't a great shooter. He was playing a great stretch four role for them. And now that they got rid of Myers Leonard and Kelly Olenek, they don't really have a power forward to slide in there next to Bam. They're, they're starting Trevor Ariza at power forward. And that's a problem. I agree, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think losing Kelly Olenek hurts the heat, but I don't think it necessarily, it doesn't help the, the 
rocket. No, like, no, it doesn't. That, that's my point, right? Like, it's like, sure, no, no, no. Like, I agree with you on all those points, but like, in terms of what the Rockets get back, Kelly Olynyk is not part of any long-term plan they have, so no. it doesn't really make sense what you're doing with him on your team. I mean, unless you want to—is he a one-year contract? No, Kelly Olynyk. I expect them to buy him out. Honestly, I—I I don't think they have any. I think they were panicking because that Oladipo deal came at the very last minute. I think they were looking all over the league, throwing out any offer to anyone, saying, "What do you have?" I mean, couldn't you have gotten a second-round pick at least? At least, yeah. I don't... But I guess we will see. We yeah. will see. And then one one more I want to talk about, maybe because I'm a Celtics fan, but that Tice trade, and I get it, it was because of the luxury tax, they didn't want to be over it. That's big for the Celtics. Tice has been by far their best and most consistent center on defense and offense over the last three seasons, and they just threw him away, basically. They threw him away to the Bulls, which is a great piece for the Bulls, kind of sucks that he'll now be like a backup center for them but the Celtics got Mo Wagner and Luke Cornett for Daniel Tice that's a bad move I mean one thing Mo Wagner does do is he can shoot which will help Daniel Tice is a better shooter sure but you know I it just it's about money and yeah it's all about frankly money. I mean the Celtics are not contending for a title this season I mean no, unless they, unless something shifts drastically. I mean, they're, you know, what, like right around the border of the playoffs. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, when you're 22 and 23, you have some bigger things to worry about than trading a role-playing center. That's that's fair. The, the whole East is pretty congested from 4 to, like, 10. So um, two games could be the difference of 4 and the 10 seed. No, of course, I agree with that. But my point is, is the one, two, and three seeds stand out above all right. else. Yeah, I mean, no one's beating them, long, unfortunately. Long distance. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. Anyhow, let's move on. Yep, to moving our... on to Under the Spotlight this week. We got Gonzaga. This feels pretty topical. Everyone's talking about them. Will they, will they pull it off? Will they go undefeated? Who knows, but let's look at their players in the NBA, how they've translated. Anything stick out to you? Jump off the page of, I believe they've got six current NBA players. Any players that, any any common themes you see? Besides Kelly Olenek's 2013, they're all 2016 or later, which has been Gonzaga's most recent run of success, although they've been to the tournament quite a I think every year since 1997. More importantly, though, they're all... Big men. I mean, Rui Hachimura is the smallest one, six eight. I mean, Brandon Clark is too, but I would say Brandon Clark is more of an interior player than maybe Rui is. But Rui Hachimura still is an interior player. So that really goes to show you what Gonzaga produces. And guess what? I mean, they have. So, but I mean, what I'll say is this: is you know they've produced a very similar esque player. For most of their history, but that's starting to change now. Corey Kispert is going to come out and be the best three-point shooter taken in the draft, and Jalen Suggs is going to probably be the second point guard taken in the draft. So, you know, and then is Drew Timmy going to be drafted this year? Right, I believe so. He's a senior. That's a good so question. He he kind of fits the mold of what we've seen already. Uh, a center who can play. He, he reminds me of some of these guys on this list. So it'll be interesting to watch. But, yeah, I mean, I would say 
the big men are what defines Gonzaga. They have one in Drew Timmy, but tides are starting to change. They just got another guard. Five star guard just committed to them yesterday. So yeah, Hunter. You know, Hunter yes. Salas. 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 Yeah. So tides changing at Gonzaga, but it, it, this their NBA prospects so far have been defined by those. Not, I'd say either centers or undersized center forwards. Yeah, uh, you hit the nail on the head. That's that's pretty much everything there is. You're right about Hunter Salas, and then top recruit in the nation, Chet Holmgren. He's reported to that's his favored choice, right? So he'd be another big man, interesting a big man, interesting prospect for Gonzaga. They're gonna have another great team next year, like they always do. But Gonzaga seems like the perfect program to look at right now. Um, for under the spotlight, as they're the current favorite, obviously, to win the NCAA tournament. Trying to pull off the first undefeated regular season since and postseason since, I believe it was 76 and Bob Knight, Indiana, I think. Yeah, yes, that's um, correct. So over the past few years, Gonzaga has really cemented itself as one of the elite college basketball programs. And looking at, at this list of six current Gonzaga players, you're right. It, I mean, it's got to be probably one of the strangest we've done because they don't have a single player in the NBA right now uh, that plays any position other than power forward or center. Um, so I really don't know if it's more concerning that they haven't produced a single point guard, shooting guard, or small forward, or more impressive that their bigs have found such tremendous success in the league. You've got Brandon Clark, Zach Collins, Rui Hachimura, Kelly Olenek, who... I don't know why I like so much. He's a good player. DeMontis Sabonis, of course, and then recent uh, pick, Killian Tilly. And what, what what I find so impressive is that all these players are, at the very least, solid big men. Some are much more than solid, but at least they're solid big men. And another thing worth noting is that these guys really aren't traditional big men um, that the school is rolling out. Clark is, I like to call a Swiss Army knife on offense and defense. And then... Of course, we know all about Sabonis. He's always always a double-double threat, but he's usually a triple-double threat as well. He's got great vision and passing skills, and then Olenek is a great stretch four. Um, and then you mentioned Gonzaga is also about to get two more lottery picks. Are, are we saying Kispert's going to be a lottery pick? It's possible. Yes, and if um, he's not a lottery pick, I'll be shocked. Yeah, me too, at, at this point. Um, so the draft, they're going to they're gonna have Jalen Suggs, Corey Kispert, which will end that drought of no guards and wings that you talked about, um, and that, but what what I I'm so intrigued and so interested by Drew Timmy, um, who you brought up. He's a sophomore right now. Um, he's had a great tournament so far against Oklahoma specifically. He put up 30, 13, and four, which is a great stat line. Very Sabonis like, leading Gonzaga to the Sweet Sixteen, and he was their best player in that game. I'm not. Um, they had a tough outing um, until he really stepped up for them. That was a close game until really the second half. Um, and he's on that bubble of whether, you know, he should stay in college one more year to raise his stock or should he in maybe risk a late being a late pick this year. I, I'm not convinced he goes to the draft because I do think he'd be – he'd probably be a second-round pick, a mid to late second-round pick. But he does – you're right. He fits that mold of previous Gonzaga bigs like Sabonis and Olenek. Uh, he can pass the ball pretty well. Uh, and he shows promise. He's not a great shooter right now, but he, he shows promise of being a capable, at least a capable threat from behind the arc. Um, but really, to just wrap it up, Gonzaga's been 
he they went from being a school in Washington that plays basketball to to really transforming into an absolute powerhouse of a program year in and year out. They always seem to dominate their conference year in and year out. They've produced you know, several big men that are pretty good. Sabonis is now a two-time All-Star, I believe. Um, and the future's only getting brighter with Hunter and maybe Chet coming. Um, but I, we can't forget, I feel like we can't talk about Gonzaga without mentioning Adam Morrison. That's always going to be on their resume. So Adam Morrison, let's not forget, he was a once a highly touted Gonzaga big. Yes. Uh, one other thing I think is worth mentioning is John Stockton went to Gonzaga. Uh, he, you know, one of the better point guards of all time, uh, you know, played for Utah, great player. And then Nigel Williams-Goss only played, um, last played in 20, or he was drafted in 2017, hasn't played probably in a couple of years, but he was their leader when they went to the finals that year. It'll be interesting to see, you mentioned, and I think, you know, this is a perfect way to round it out, is Gonzaga went from being a Cinderella team every year to being a powerhouse team. Very similar to what Loyola Chicago is now is what Gonzaga used to be back in the day. Just a team that kept on winning despite all odds, and now look where they are. We'll see. Maybe Loyola Chicago's next. Maybe. But let's move on to our final segment, Where'd He Go?, where we each give each other three players and the other person has to guess them. Well, in honor of March Madness, we are going to change it up, and we're going to give each other three players from that were named most outstanding player in the NCAA basketball tournament. We'll give each other the name and the year. The other person has to guess where they went to college. I'll let you go first. Okay, before I go, what, what what's the... What's it looking like? Who's in the lead? Are you still above me? I forget. Cause I, we didn't do it no, last week. No, I think week. you you took the two-point lead. Oh, did I, I take the two-point lead? Wow. Okay. All right. So I'll kick us off. All right. The year is 2010. The name, Kyle Singler. Where'd he go? Oh, that one's too easy. Because 2010 was Gordon Hayward off backboard, off rim, no good. Which means Duke was your national championship. Kyle Singler is your national champion. Yeah, yeah that, that was too easy. I don't know if you, Kyle Singler isn't really a remembered player. It's a shame. No, but he played in the, the league for a little is, bit. He was a great player. Year. But the year is remembered, and mm-hmm. we, we didn't pick a year we had to go by, right? It's any year. No, yeah, I just I just picked any year. Yeah, awesome. Well, I will pick a name. You might know this one. He's somewhat famous. His name is Ed O'Bannon. He was named the most outstanding player in 1995, and interestingly enough, he is the one who brought the lawsuit against EA Sports for their NCAA video games that has gotten both NCAA basketball and NCAA football suspended from production for EA, although football is coming back in the next couple of years. I heard about that. Okay, Ed O'Bannon. I, I'm, 1995? I'll give, I'll give you one more hint. Okay, okay. A dynasty that hadn't won in a while, and this is their last one since. Okay. Uh, a dynasty that hadn't won in a while. Depends what a while means. My initial guess is UCLA, but I'm not sure. When you say dynasty, gosh, I, I still feel like UCLA is my best guess. I, that Something about O'Bannon and UCLA. Um... That's my best guess. I don't. 
think I'm going to think of anything else. I'm going to say UCLA. I'm going to lock that That's in. correct. Is it correct? Wow. Because they won all those championships back-to-back with Walton and then Kareem. So Yes, Bill Walton won two consecutive mm-hmm. um, most outstanding players. And Lou Alcindor's, who was yes, going back then. Yes, Lou Jabbar won three in a row Yeah, in a span of what? Six UCLA yeah. straight championships. So that'll be okay. Nice. You are correct, though. UCLA with the winner. All right. My next one, just a few years off from 2010. The year is 2008. The name Mario Chalmers. He was on some of those Heat teams. LeBron, Bosch. Well, he squared off against Derrick Rose in the finals, right? Oh, that gosh. was the finals. And Derrick Rose played for Memphis, but Mario Chalmers hit the big shot to tie the game and force overtime. Or was it to tie or to the win? He hit a big shot, big three. He basically kept Kansas in. I believe it was for the tie. They went to overtime. Kansas would win the game. The answer is Kansas. I've said it multiple times. What a memorable season. Didn't watch it live. Watched the highlights since. Yep. Kansas is correct. Okay. Well, that brings me to number two. I am going to, well, this one's tough. I I hope you know this one. We're going to go back to the year 1992. And he is now a coach, but he is a former player. If you don't get this one right, he coaches at Arizona State. If you don't get this one right, shame on you. The answer is Bobby Hurley. Uh, Yeah, Uh, of course I know this one. He went to Duke, Bobby Hurley, Duke legend, now at Arizona State. Yep, Bobby Hurley there. Glad you know it. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost gave you Art Hyman Heyman in nineteen sixty-three, but I thought you might not know. That. I never would have gotten that. <laughs> uh, which would have been really funny. It would have been the Duke when I got you with. But I wanted to go with someone you might have heard of. Anyhow, on to number three for you. All right. So I went. Uh, what did I go? I got one. Wait, did I get all three? You have, you're two for two. Right I'm now. two for two right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, my last one. I feel like you. I feel like you know all these. Purvis Ellison, nineteen eighty-six. Where'd he go? Eighty-six. Oh, that name sounds so familiar. Um, I was just looking at it. Um, Purvis Ellison. Well, let's see. I know eighty-four was Georgetown. Eighty-five was Villanova. Because that was the big surprise one, right? So 86 had to be Louisville. Yep, yep. Got to know my East Coast basketball. Three for three. Three for three. Impressive. Okay. Now I will give you one more. Who did Sean May play for? Sean May. In 2005. Oh, 2005. 2005, Sean May. 2005, what was going on in 2005? 2005. I was four years old. Yeah, 2005. Not a Duke year, I would know that. Kentucky was probably in there. Maybe Kansas was in there. Um, maybe, no, not UConn. You, oh wait, you, mm. no, UConn was like a year or two later, or earlier. UConn's right around there, I know, but I don't think 2005 is UConn. Uh, two, wait. No, no. Florida's a little bit later than that. 
He did not play for Florida. Ugh. It's like right in the middle of those two. <laughs> um, uh, could be Kentucky 2005? Maybe. Mm, 2005. Yikes. This is where you get me. You know what? I'm just going to... I'm going to go with either Kansas or Kentucky. That's my best guess. Um, uh, I'll let you guess both of them because both of them are unfortunately incorrect. Right. <laughs> the correct... You had UConn. They were 2004. Right, yeah. Florida was 2006. Uh-huh. And your hated rival, North Carolina, Ugh. was in 2005. Hmm. Just down Tobacco Road. So, two for one, three and oh. I think I'm still down by one. I'll catch up next time. That's all for today. Check us out anywhere you listen to your podcast. For Daniel, I'm Eli. Enjoy March Madness this weekend and spilling into next week. We will be back next week and getting excited for the Final Four. It is just around the corner. So, so long, everybody.